Welcome to Style Section, the Wise Guy Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Sheila. And yeah, we are we have reached the end of the Lynchboro arc. It might be very short, but it is delightfully strange and very compelling. Oh my god. I, I love it. I know. It's just I yeah, well let's talk about how it all ends and then we'll talk about the overall arc. Yeah, the overall strangeness of this arc. <laughs> Weirdest thing the show ever did. I think it's I think it's safe to say, especially the ending. Like if you thought everything else was weird, wait until we tell you about this ending. Alright, so <laughs> Uh, the, the sting has gone awry. Helmet has been arrested, but Mark has not. And now Frank and, uh, and company really don't know what they're supposed to do. <laughs> because, and so Frank comes to Vinny. It's like, uh. No, to Roger. No, no, to Roger. To Roger, not to Vinny. And says, <laughs> like, do I, like, I have to arrest somebody. you know like we need a head we need we were supposed to put uh mark in jail and roger quite reasonably says how would that help this town like what would be better by putting mark in jail what would be gained by putting Mark in? whose life would in any way be improved by putting mark in jail what is the point yeah and uh right and so Frank's like, but that's the job. And he's like, did you become a cop to make people's lives better? Did you cop, uh, become a cop to get people? And it's like, why are we here? Like, what is the point of this whole endeavor if we're going to make everybody's lives worse for no good reason? And it's a good argument. Well, yeah. Like, it really is. Like, what is what is this whole endeavor supposed to be for? Is it for putting a head on a wall and getting a promotion? Or is it for helping people who are in trouble and stopping people who are hurting people. And honestly, Frank has gotten to a point where maybe it's just, maybe the whole point of the job is just putting heads on walls, you know? Well, <laughs> yes, part of him. Yeah, please. Yeah. But, but people like Frank and, and the guys in the bureau are still riding high on taking down the commission. Exactly. So Frank I does have, that- yeah, he yeah. does have the leeway because they've got such good press about taking down the commission. Yeah. Yeah, so he does have some leeway to uh, to get a different outcome for this. You're absolutely right. And what's interesting is, so Roger says that, uh, you know, they only have one ally in town that they can ask to help work with this, and that's Lacey, because uh, she knows what's going on. And Frank's like, you told like. You told her you're working with the cops? And he's like, no, she's just not an idiot. Like, yeah. Mark is so desperate to uh, win, he's uh, blinded, but she knows that the only person worth an FBI agent hanging around in town for is Mark. Like, there's no other reason for an FBI agent to be there. You know, and it, that's what it comes down to. She's she's not an idiot. She can read the writing on the wall. And so, you know, she knows what's going on, and so they have to go and talk. And... I think what's key is that he, um, Roger says to Frank that Vinny would have done the same thing and let Mark off and he would have done it for the same reason. And, you know, Roger's probably right about that. Yeah. You know what the funny thing is, though, is that I don't think Vinny could have come up with a solution 
that, that they Rock- come up with this episode. Yes. This is Roger's solution. Yeah. And so they go and they talk to Lacey and it's, uh, ve- or whose real name is Julie. That is, you know, uh, Lacey yeah. Marseille is of course her, you know, <laughs> nom nom, nom, in the yes, her nom de guerre as a madam. And it's, <laughs> it's a pretty great name, honestly, is it, for, for fake names, Lacey Marseille is a really good one. <laughs> uh, but yes, of course she is. She is really Julie. And so they go to talk to her. And she, of course, is pissed off that they're going to try and destroy Mark. And they're like, and then Frank says, no, we are, we are open to coming up with an alternate solution to this situation. <laughs> like we are, we are, you know, willing to consider not making this a legal thing. If you're willing to help us with that, which, you know, he's, he's, Frank's growing up. Well, and so they, they try to figure out how can they possibly get through to Mark? Yeah, and 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 of course, of course, Roger and Lacey are one more time, or Julie is one more time watching the movie. Yeah, just watching the movie again, because Mark's obsessed <laughs> with it. You know, so trying to figure out what it's all about. Still, mm. you know what's, and so Roger comes up with a wonderful solution. Let's change the ending. Now this is this is something, and I I mentioned this to you last week. This is something that the writers missed. And it's too bad that they missed it because the true story of this film is very interesting and it fits what they do in this scene perfectly. And that yeah. is that so it was made by William Castle. And William Ca- and it was one of the things where William Ca- movies where William Castle did one of his favorite gimmicks. Corman. It is not a Roger Corman. It's William it's Castle. Okay. Yeah, William Castle, who was of course the yeah, sleazier, more gimmick intensive Roger Corman. They're basically yeah. the same guy. One liked gimmicks more than the other. And okay. one of his favorite gimmicks and one that was used in Mr. Sardonicus was at the start of the movie, you were, when you walked into the movie, you were given a card that was like, I don't remember exactly what, but I think it was like black on one side and white on the other. Right. And at the end of the movie, like the last reel was going to play like the last five, 10 minutes of the movie you were supposed uh, you were given a chance to hold up a card saying which ending you wanted. And so in the case of Mr. Sardonicus, the options were that Crawl tells Mr. Sardonicus that, you know, he's the one cursing himself and it's all in his head and he can stop being you know, and stop like having this rictus face anytime he wants. Or you can have the one where Crawl remembers that he was blinded by Mr. Sardonicus and mutilated by him. And out of revenge tells, uh, right. Out of revenge says, uh, no, I wasn't able to get to the doctor. I don't know how, like you're, you're just going to have to suffer. And then he watches Mr. Sardonicus die. And those were the two endings you could get. And the idea was you were supposed to hold up your cards. Now, of course, in real life, William Castle didn't actually like film the happy ending. (laughs) He never actually filmed the happy ending. There was actually only one ending to Mr. Sardonicus and no, no matter what cards put up. Cause, and that's the trick. There's, you know, a hundred people in a theater who the hell knows how they voted. <laughs> They're holding up cards for the projectionist. No one sitting in the theater can possibly guess which ending they voted for. They only know what they personally voted for. So that's, that's how the trick works. People, <laughs> that's how the, the fake having alternate endings works. You know, just you, you pretend everybody always voted for the bad ending 
but you just never made a good ending. And think of how well that story would have fit in with this narrative. Well, actually, maybe, maybe they are um, aware, even though they didn't say anything, because it turns out that there isn't, even though Castle has said, right, that he yeah. made a merciful ending, yeah. um, no evidence of it has ever shown up. Exactly. Like nobody has ever seen the merciful ending. Nobody has ever found it. And no, like, there's no script for the correct end, for the happy ending. There's no, there's no proof that the happy ending exists. Ever existed, yes. And even if it did, it's permanently lost because nobody can find it. Any proof of it. And it's like, how great would it be, like, if earlier in the show, earlier in the season, Mark, when talking about how much he loves the movie, like, if they had watched the scene where William Castle asks you to vote for the ending... Right. Yeah. And then Mark talk and then Mark, you know, offhandedly mentioned that this was a uh, that this was just a this was just a gimmick. He never filmed a happy ending. It can only end like this kind of story can only end one way. And he just said that offhanded like three episodes ago. And that would have set up in this ending what they do. Yeah, no, and I know. And I think, think that would have been great. Yeah. But anyway, please, you were saying. No, 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 no. It's just, yes, that would have been great. Yeah. It's, um, it's the one thing I think they missed in this ending. Well, yeah, but it's, it's, um, it, it is because we have a podcast and we have little pieces of trivia like this yeah. to give our, to give our audience, mm-hmm. right. That, um, somehow or another, it, I don't think it changes anything when you're watching it. Let oh, me put God, it that no. Way. No, no. I this isn't this isn't uh you know a judgment on the episode, right? Yeah. At all. The episode is fantastic. I'm just saying there is a way that would fit perfectly in with their narrative that it could be even better. And I don't think you're gonna disagree with me on that front. Oh no, I think they could have woven something in. Yeah. Um, but then again, the other thing is, is that their, um, their originality would have been less, um, no, oh no, okay, no, because they could just say, I mean, they could put in the fact that nobody's ever seen it. Yeah, exactly. And that it's lost, but we're going to create one and that's yeah. all there is to it. Exactly. We're going to make a happy ending. Like we can't, we can't get him the happy ending. Well, we'll just make it for him. And yeah. so their plan is to go and do a play version of, and they mention, and uh, they're like, we got to scare the hell out of him to try yeah. and make this work. And then, <laughs> and then Frank says, well, we've, we've still got Bobby sitting in a motel for the last three weeks. Maybe we use Bobby. And then like, what the hell's that? And so Roger never heard. Yeah, Roger never heard about the Bobby situation. No, and Lacey thinks he's dead. Yeah, and Lacey thinks he's dead. So it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Whoa! Whoa, and okay. Was, yeah, and so we could just bring him back. <laughs> and so they... It's, it's great, because so they cut to him. You know, Mark is back in his uh, mansion, going a little crazy. 
you know, talking about how talking about cryonics and talking about how he won't let his dream die. He's going to have his dynasty. He's going to have his forever, and nobody can stop him. I am. I am become the world destroyer of death. <laughs> it's such a beautiful monologue where he talks about all the presidents who are like, "Sorry, guys, you lived too early. You missed out on immortality." <laughs> it's a very funny scene, and again, great job by Steve Ryan. Like he is so good in this. Oh yeah. I mean, you. It, it is hard to recognize him as, yeah, the just, just, um, the the cop. Yeah, the right? cop from Crime Story. He's so I mean, the different. Hair, in this. Everything, right? Oh yeah, he's so completely different in this than he was in Crime Story, right? And so uh, he does his little speech, and then he comes out, and Roger is there, dressed as the doctor from the movie. Yeah. And he's like trying to uh and he's like trying to get uh, trying to get Mark to do lines and he paints a fake smile on his face. <laughs> and R- Mark is like, "Oh my god, you you want to come and play with me? No one's ever wanted to take part in my movie." <laughs> this is wonderful. And so every he's everyone's dressed up in costumes and Frank is crawl and he's got, you know, the closed eye makeup that Lacey has done for him. And oh great, are you want to, are you ready for the weirdest and most fun piece of trivia trivia that may have tied into why all of this happened? Okay. Okay, so there was a show called something it might have been called Another uh, not Another World, that's the name of a soap opera. But anyway, um it's it's easy enough to go and check and find out on IMDb what it was called. So anyway, the point of the show is a family was on vacation in like Egypt and they touched a thing on a wall, and they got sent to another dimension, or across the or across the universe to a planet where, uh, you know, everyone is controlled by an evil, uh, by some evil, you know, central dictatorship, and it's it's one of these weird things. And I'm sure this has happened to you too. I'm sure it's happened to everybody. So I saw half of one episode of this thing when I was six years old, and it's one of those things where it just kind of sticks in your memory for the rest of your life. That you're like, here are some images, and I don't know what these images for, are from, but I know I saw an episode of television, I'll never be able to identify it, thanks to the good people at YouTube, I was able to, you know, <laughs> find it. And the crazy part is, it's not like I went searching for it, it just showed up on my recommendations. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, that's that thing from when I was six years old. But anyway, so the plot is, the family travels around from place to place, and every episode... You know, they're running for from the government. Every episode, they're in a different town that has some weird quirk to it and how, like, crazy they run things here on the alien planet. But here's the key part. Jonathan Banks was in the show. No. He was I... he was the bad guy on the show. He was the, the general from the A-team type of character, the guy who was always chasing them from town to town. And that character's name was Crawl. So this is actually the second time <laughs> that Jonathan Banks has played a villain named Crawl. I don't know if that fact factored in at all, but I'm sure he remembered it when it was happening. Oh, sure. Isn't that now, amazing? The, yeah, so that that was an early form of Sliders. Oh, no, it's the exact... I mean, it's very similar to Sliders, except they stay on the alternate planet 
once they're there but it's very similar to sliders in that every new town they go to is like completely different and super weird in the same way that every dimension that sliders would go to would be completely different and super weird so yeah it's uh it's it's very similar all right but yeah, it's, it's, you are not wrong to reference sliders when talking about this show. But anyway, so I thought that was an interesting coincidence. But really? uh, yeah, Jonathan Banks oh, ended up playing Crawl twice. It must have had an impact for it to show up on your feed. I know. I mean, somebody must remember this thing. I mean, I'm sure it showed up because I watch a lot of, you know, weird old TV shows. I mean, I had just, when it showed up, I had just watched, and this is a real show, Ten Speed and Brown Shoe. Which was oh um, yes yeah yes. which was this really questionable cop sh- this detective show about an accountant who wants to become a detective and the criminal he teams up with to solve crimes. It, it was a weird show, but hey, Jeff Goldblum and oh, how am I blanking on this? Um, not Gregory Hines. Oh, who was it? Anyway, the point is a famous dancer is the point. A famous dancer actor like Gregory Hines. But the point is, like, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure that YouTube figured out that I like watching strange old TV shows and fed it to me. And it just, it happened to be something that I had been looking for my entire life. So it worked out well. Uh, but anyway, the point we're getting at, right, just to, to drive back, is it's a very fun scene. They do the, they, they do the whole thing. Right up to Crawl, right? Right up to the scene where Crawl comes back to see Mr. Sardonicus. And then Frank says, uh, it's all in your head. You can stop. You can stop smiling anytime you want. And it's, it's to the credit of the writers of this show that they take this, let's face it, fairly mediocre William Castle movie from 1958 or whatever and manage to make the dialogue and the character stuff completely resonant with what's going on with mark because frank is telling you know mr sardonicus it's all in your head but of course they're really saying to mark your father can't control you anymore like you're the one who's doing you're the one who's making yourself miserable now your father isn't control anymore your father's dead like you are responsible for your own unhappiness and you can be responsible for your own happiness it's such a good scene. Like it really is. I was I was blown away watching this scene. Uh, and and of course, Mark does not take this well. Cause how could he? <laughs> how could he, right? No, this isn't the ending. This isn't the ending. I've seen no, this no, movie a million times. He has to pay. And that's the key part. He has to pay and he has to keep on paying. You know, there's no redemption. There's no happy endings. He has to suffer for what he did. I tell you, the way he was raised must have been just horrendous. Oh, God, yeah. Like, again, well, and that's the thing. They make that clear in a couple of scenes, right? (laughs) In a couple of scenes, they make that clear that, like, the way he was raised was that he was just there to, like, he never stopped serving his father. Because his father was going to live forever, it was just Mark's job. Mark never got to really run the town. Mark never really got to be his own person. Mark's only job was to get technology to the point where he could bring his father back so his father or grandfather or both could go back to being domineering. 
And so he constantly, everything he did was in service of this insane idea. And so he never got to have a life and a personality of his own. That's why they talk about, you know, when he went off to college, he was a different person because he was out uh, from under the influence of his father and grandfather. And, oh, why does he, uh, (laughs) right? And when he came back, their influence controlled him from beginning to end. Like, there is no part of his life that the memory of them and their orders wasn't in charge of. And it's hitting too close to home, Dan. It is? For me. For you? Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Just thought you'd let me know. Yeah. You wanted to know why I was going to Toronto. Yeah, I did. But yeah. Why? Yeah, no, I know, I know. Came into my head. As why this, it came into anyway, this whole thing, right, is just, just. It's so yes. true. Yeah. It's so true and it's so authentic and it's so well written, right? Yeah. Like the way this man has been destroyed by the abuse he suffered as a child and how he's never been able to grow up. And at the same way, the town is being kept as infants as well. Like nobody's able to figure out who they are and what they want to do. Cause for the moment they're born, they're basically property of the town and the property and the town is the property of the Volcheks. Yeah. Like it's, it's very well done. It is a really, really, really well done scene. I mean, the whole episode is just amazing. It's But this scene when he just breaks down and starts essentially screaming about how, like, there's no forgiveness. You know, you never, you never have, you never stop paying for the stuff you did. And part of that in him is, turns out he actually feels pretty damn guilty about what happened to Bobby. So it is a transformative experience. Yeah. When he opens the front door to run away and Bobby is standing there. <laughs> and he has that great moment of just being Bobby and faints. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, is it a ghost? Is it a ghost? Like what, what exactly has happened? Yeah. And that's the thing. And the genius of having the Bobby, like the Bobby storyline pay off this way. Because the whole Mr. Sardonicus thing is, what if there could be a happy ending? What if he could be redeemed? And the death of Bobby weighed on him because he really was as bad as he suspected. And now having Bobby come back means, wait, maybe I'm not a monster. Maybe I can change. Maybe things don't have to have an unhappy ending. And it, yeah. it plays. It's not like we see Bobby again. It plays as this one moment joke of him fainting when he sees Bobby. But it is so thematically important for the rest of the episode. Yeah. That Bobby comes back. Like, again, it's a great episode of television. Like, oh, yeah. In terms of result, like some of these, it's so funny, eh? All of these different issues that come up in this, throughout this entire, even in this one of the themes of the show is personal development and change and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And and frankly, it's the one thing Vinny hasn't learned. Yep. That's the funny thing, right? Don Ayupo is forgiven. Yep. Right. I mean, all all these, that that there is forgiveness sort of. Yeah. Right. And that, and learning how to forgive yourself 
for the evil that you have done yeah. in the past. Because it's not a, and people focus on the evil that was done to them, not understanding that the impact that that has means that they have done things to other people. Yep. You know, and so, and it's a revolving thing and it, and it has to be broken and it is not easy to break nope. at all. In fact, most of the time it just isn't broken. And what this episode tells you is that, yes, it can be broken mm -hmm. and people can change and people can be forgiven. And it's too bad, Vinny, and, and it may be that this was the lessons that Vinny was supposed to have learned in this, this arc, yeah. in this arc. And then by, by the fact that he just left yep. meant that Roger Lococo doesn't need to learn these lessons. He's already learned these lessons. Yeah. So Roger is just becomes, doesn't go through an arc. It just becomes a functionary of the story. Yeah. He's a facilitator. He's a facilitator to make sure that all of these lessons that he's learned are learned by Volchek, mm -hmm. the town, and even, even Frank. Frank. Even Frank. Yeah. Uh, and so then we get the next morning and and then it becomes, and there's the and this is why I said it's an adaptation of a famous piece of media. Because the next morning, the episode becomes a Christmas Carol. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no other way to describe it. You can't describe it any other way. He wakes up, Mark wakes up and he's like, I don't know why Frank, you know, McPike tricked me about Bobby, but obviously it was for the best. Like he's completely willing to overlook all of that. Yeah. And he's like, you know, Lacey's there with him and he says, there's something I've got to do. And he goes out to see his father and grandfather and gets another fantastic monologue. Yep. Just this amazing scene where he finally confronts the legacy of his father and grandfather. And he realizes that he has treated, and it's like the origin of his misogyny is the fact that only Volchek men matter and how his uh, mother and grandmother were completely tossed aside and, and disrespected. And sister were all like completely disrespected and tossed aside because the Volcheks are only the men. And women yeah. are only there to make more male Volchecks. And his wonderful thing of it, it's like, what did, like, why do you, why were you so arrogant to believe that you deserve to live forever? <laughs> and it's a good question. You know, I'm looking at you, Peter Thiel. <laughs> like, imagine the arrogance of yeah. that. And it's, it's fantastic. And he shuts off the machines. And he gives up on cryonics and he gives up on this dream he had and he wakes up and he decides to actually start living his life rather for himself and for really for the town rather yep. than just for his dynasty and for his family. Yeah. And then he says, uh, and then he even has a, Oh, what day is it? There's still time. Yeah. <laughs> Races down. Races down. Right. But we get a wonderful moment from Lacey where she says that she's going to leave. Yeah. Because she knew that he was damaged and she's been keeping, like she has been coddling him and enabling his damage, right? 
in order because it was an easy, a cushy life for her. It gave her this cushy life to feed into his mental trauma. And it did. Yeah, well, plus, plus, I think here's the, here's the strange thing. I think at the same time, it's not just that. It would have been impossible to change his mind. Yeah. So you might I, as I well think come that, and cash I mean, in. Yeah, you're right. It's not like there's anything she should have done. She could have done. She could have done. You're absolutely right. But at the same time, her feeling is that all she ever did was just cash in on his mental trauma and they didn't have a real relationship. And yeah. more to the point, that is not how he sees it at all. And so he rushes down to, to the, the factory, factory to take part in the slugfest. <laughs> because he's like, I've been in charge, but I've never, but, and what he says is, I didn't earn my place. I'm in charge of all of you, but I did nothing to deserve that role. And so yeah. he goes and he fights and he gets beaten to hell. Yeah, because and even Roger and even Roger, Danny, Donnie has not Donnie. The yeah. other guy has had to bring up um, not just Rogo. Rogo is there. Oh, yeah, yeah. But bring up Rogo, bring up Frank and bring Make up. Make sure everybody uh, comes and sees this. And bring up uh, Lococo. Yeah. Roger, uh, yeah, everyone has to come and see this happen. So all of the characters are there. And so he loses the fight badly, which is absolutely what he wanted. Yes, right? and and absolutely expected. Well, of course. Why would he know how to fight? <laughs> right? And and as he says, my whole life, you know, I, I wanted somebody to beat me up, but nobody ever would. I wanted to get into a fight. You know, it's like, but I always won everything because everyone took it easy on me. And it took him a while to get them to hit him. Yeah. No, no. He had to, he has to hit the guy like four times before the guy will punch back. Yeah. He basically has to be ordered by Mark to punch him. <laughs> but then it becomes a real fight. It's a very good scene because it lets yeah. you in on just how reverently the town was expected to treat this family. Yeah. Like this guy is willing to get punched in the face over and over again, because again, when your King punches you in the face, you don't do anything. <laughs> and that is how he is. You know, this town has been run for generations and Mark is finally seeing how awful that is. And he's going to change it. And so he announces that um, he's shutting down the brothel. All the, the women can go to college if they want to. They can do whatever they want with their lives and they'll have his financial support to do it. And he is taking the company public and he is dividing up the stock between everyone who works there. Yeah. You know? He is, he is giving up his sole proprietorship. He is going to give the town to the people of the town, finally. And going to let them chart their own destiny. And I mean, who knows how it'll work out, but... <laughs> Yeah, that was ex exactly, I mean, my idea was, oh, if somebody, if one of these corporate raiders decides, yeah, you know, but never mind, we're not going to worry about no. that. And That's honestly, the best way to do show. would not be to take it public, but to, uh, to make it, limited, it as a worker co-op. Yeah, as a worker co-op. Yeah, where, a partner, exactly, yeah. where the so company is all... an independent ent uh, entity, yeah. of course, that can't just be sold for parts. But everybody who works there has an ownership stake in it. That well, what I would think, right? And this is, this is, the funny thing is, is this presages 
everybody should go and watch the NFB documentary called The Take. Yeah. Okay. Um, it is an hour and 20 minutes long. It is great. I made my class watch it. That was their final exam was to analyze the take. The beautiful story of what happens when we stop pretending we need bosses and owners. Well, yeah, the owners all copped out and they were selling off. They weren't supposed to sell off the factory stuff, but they were. Um, But the workers in a number of different factories where the owners just arbitrarily closed them down because there was no money in it for them. Yep. Um, yep. Put all these people out of work. This is in Argentina. And um, so this, the documentary kind of follows the struggle of one of them to get the right, because legally, according to the Argentinian constitution, they do have the right, but of course it had been so corrupt mm-hmm. and that you do see one of the, um, the owners um, who says, ah, now when the next guy gets back in, when he gets back in, he's going to give it all back to me. Yeah, You know, yeah. I don't, I'm not worried at all. Um, anyway, they, they, needless to say in this documentary, the owners are not coming off well, but the guys managed to, and even years later, there's, I made them want read an, an, an article in the guardian about sort of 10 years later or 20 years later, how the, these, um, factory owned because then the factories start to own them and of course there are uh needless to say problems and it's hard to know sometimes it doesn't work as efficiently as it did when you just had a hierarchical system but they would still rather have this than anything else yes because so um at the end of the day you know it's like what bosses are always going to be there's always going to be a power imbalance and people would gladly live a slightly, you know, less efficient life or less, um, what's the word I'm looking for? And Uh, not as much productive life and have a little less money to not have to deal with a boss. Yeah. Now what happens, right. And this goes to, but what I would say is that this would go to um, Lacey's um, point because remember now he, and then he proposes to Lacey. Yeah. Then he proposes to Lacey. He makes sure everybody is there to see him propose to Lacey. Yeah. And then, but what Lacey says is he's on a high right now. Uh, we'll talk about it tomorrow morning. Yeah. And that yeah. will be the same thing about going public. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he will have to work out what it is he really wants to do. And he may come up with this alternate solution. Idea. Yes. Because yeah. again, because yeah, just giving everything to the people in stock. Well, looked how well that worked out for Russia. Yeah, no, I mean, there. it just, I mean, there are serious problems because as I said, corporate raiders will come in and they will start to buy up. There will be people who will be offered, you know, double what their stock technically is worth so mm-hmm. that they can buy things up and get a controlling interest in oh, the yeah. stock. And Again, then, that's oh, literally what happened to the entire country of Russia. They're yeah. like, oh, well, we're just going to give the people of Russia all of the industries. And by the people, and, but the industries, who the hell knows what an industry is worth and what is valuable. So all of these foreign investors came in and bought up everything. And then all of these, you know, mob guys uh, who are already in Russia bought up everything. And as a consequence, <laughs> the whole country fell apart and was easy pickings for a fascist dictator. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. And so 
you so, know, yeah. I mean, like, it doesn't matter how it's going to work out tomorrow morning. Yeah. And that's Lacey's point. We'll talk tomorrow morning. Exactly. So no, um, there's no reason to believe that Mark will actually go through with the questionable idea of stock options. Hopefully cooler heads will explain to him that a worker co-op is a much better structure. Well, if that is what he wants, right? Yeah. And I think that, I mean, basically that is what he wants. No, he but wants remember, to find a way to give the town to the townspeople. Yeah, give the businesses to the town to make it uh, work that way. And um, so, yeah, he will have, I mean, of course, you can just see his accountants. I know. Having a fit in his lawyers, having a fit. Exactly. But he will be as insistent on doing this as he was about the other thing. Oh, absolutely. That part of his personality won't change. Yeah, no, he's still a driven man. And it's nice to imagine that, again, it's literally a Christmas carol. He is going to be as driven about uh, making humanity his business as he was about, you know, trying to find immortality and obsessing over death. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a beautiful ending. Oh, yeah. It's just great. And Roger, of course, just walks away, disappears, disappears while everyone's distracted with the proposal. Roger just walks away. Yeah, and leaves a message for Frank. To Frank that says, tell Vinny we're even. <laughs> this is it. I mean, this was a big one. <laughs> this was a big one. I got to get out of here. And he did. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful scene. It's a perfect ending to the episode. It's a perfect ending to the arc. And then Frank is like, uh, you know, I've got to, now I've got to go find Vinny. Because what we haven't talked about is during this entire episode, we've been cutting away to Vinny a bunch of times. So Vinny went back in and he saw Kusakis, the guy who runs the, uh, the cartage firm. Right. And he told him about the, uh, the hepatitis outbreak and the fact that they're using these crappy bags that leak garbage everywhere and are endangering kids. Right. And of course, Kusakis doesn't care at all. Nope. So Vinny, uh, just like, again, what's interesting about what Vinny does is it is a a microcosm version of what his day job was anyway. Yeah. Because he's like, oh, I'm seeing something wrong. Okay, well, then I'm just going to beat this guy up and make it right. And so he beats up Kusakis. He, in a callback to the pilot, yeah. steals the guy's watch. Yeah. <laughs> steals his watch, which is pretty funny. Uh, steals his watch and then grabs some uh, grabs some uh, of their letterhead so he can send a message to the local DA about the fact that these the guys local, are... The head of the, the oh, yeah, health... No, not that, you're right. The head of the health... Public the health. DA, the head of the public health board, right? And so he rose, he sends the letter and he's like, there, I've done the right thing. Boom. And of course, well, the what's... head of the local health board is on the take for the cartage company. And so there, the guy's like, okay, uh, he calls up Kosakis to say, well, what the hell? Now you're supposed to have stuff like this handled. How, do, how come you didn't do a background check on whoever this guy is? And it's like, drifters come in and, you know, move garbage for a couple of weeks. What the hell? I'm supposed to look into all of them? Yeah, and what? But what's interesting in the fight scene, of course, is that he threatens Vinny, and Vinny says, "You don't know who you're messing with." Like, like the guy says, "You don't know who you're messing with." You know, I'm connected. 
you know, blah, 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 blah. And he says, you don't know who you're. Yeah, who you're messing with. And we're like, yeah, who you're messing with. hell, this is going to get bad. Yes. So we've got two episodes in which those things all work themselves. Are going to pay off. Are going to pay off. And so um, we get a couple of funny scenes. We get Vinny going to the pawn shop and cashing in Kusakis's... uh, Watch, watch for a set of golf clubs and uh, eighteen hundred bucks. Eighteen hundred bucks and a set of golf <laughs> clubs, and then uh, so Kusaka sends some guys to rough Vinny up, and he beats the hell out of them, and <laughs> tells them that next time he better send some more guys. And what's key here is Vinny n- makes no effort to run or hide. No, because Vinny is at least passively suicidal at this point. Yeah. Like, except he can't, he could never kill himself ever. No, he could well, never, he's Roman Catholic. He, he's Roman Catholic. <laughs> he could never kill himself. But what he can do is put himself in excessively dangerous situations because he literally beats these two guys up and says, you know, uh, net, tell him the next guys he sends are going to get worse. So he's actively provoking the mobsters who are pissed at him. Yeah. He is going out of his way to make them angrier at him. And so there you go. And what happens? He, oh, by the way, he also stole these guys' watches, which he goes back and he turns over to the, the pawn shop <laughs> owner, who's like, okay, who then says, you know, um, here's a, here's a cut of diamond ring to be on the look for. If you find any of these, let me know. And I'll, uh, I can, I can definitely move, move them. And Vinny's like, sounds good to me. Because Vinny slides really easily into being a criminal. Yeah. And then two guys show up outside of his SRO. And as they yeah. say, uh, you might as well come out. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> We're paid by the hour. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to leave. Which is nice. And so Vinny comes out and waits for them to draw on him and shoots them both dead. Yep. And that's, that's when you go, okay, he may think he's passively suicidal at the end of his rope, but he's not really. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And when it comes down to it, he'll fight. Does he take those guys watching? No, he doesn't. After he shot people, he He actually just runs. runs. Cause you know what? He's just shot two people in public. It's a good time to run. Yeah, and the thing is, is that this goes to the point that Uncle Mike is making. Yeah. Is that he's saying here, this is the key to all of this, is that Vinny is close. He's like a child who runs away from home and hides under the the, the the, front porch. porch or whatever, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and he's around. And he picks Seattle for a reason because he knows we're here. Yeah. Right. And and in some ways, Vinny can't ask for help, of course. Nope. So nope. therefore, he knows they're gonna pick up on all of yeah, this. Yeah, he's making enough of a fuss that they're gonna pick up on it. And they're yeah, gonna they're find gonna him. find him. He wants and, help, and but he so can't ask for it. Passive aggressive behavior. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Passively. <laughs> massively passive aggressive i need he help wants the help he wants the help but he just doesn't know how to ask for it yeah he can't let himself ask for it again it's completely consistent yeah it is completely consistent with Vinny. yeah um yeah. and particularly since 
his driving problem is this this tension between the two parts of his heritage let me say yeah. put it that way it's, I think that's a good description. It, I mean, he is he is in the middle of this and i don't as i said i don't know like and this has been coming like you could have seen it coming yeah. there might have yeah. been an interlude with um with amber where there was a chance if he could have left but he couldn't leave mm -hmm. as Frank already told her um because he's addicted to it but i mean he has definitely a you know what do we call it did uh uh yeah. high functioning dissociative there disorder. is he does become different people to a certain extent Oh yeah, he just becomes that person and can be that person. Yeah, but he yeah. can only be that person, like because he's getting the um, the kudos for doing that. Yeah, but it is now completely destroying him, so that at times he doesn't know who he is, and he's in between. Because when he is threatening, um, what's his face? The first Kasakis. guy, yeah, Kasakis, right? When he's threatening Kasakis. He's not talking about I'm an FBI agent. Yeah. He's talking about I'm Vinny Terranova. Yep. The mobster, the mm -hmm. head of the commission. Yep. And that's the that's, key part. Like he is fully yeah. like he walked away from his job as a cop and all that's left for him is the what was supposed to be a fake life as a wise guy. Now that's yeah. just who he is. And yeah, so it is, it is now this is what he's playing out and he can't stand it and he feels guilty about it, but he doesn't, he is incapable of saying, I need help. Mm -hmm. I'm lost. Yep. And I need help. Unlike, um, um, John Henry. <laughs> yeah. John Henry was able to step back and I mean, well, We'll talk about what happens to Vinny in the next couple of episodes. Yeah, well, we have two more episodes. We have two more episodes. What happens to, to Vinny. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, but the Vinny stuff in this episode is very good because, again, in, like, the Lynchboro stuff never gave us a chance to dig into Vinny's character. No. But this definitely did. And, by the way, um, this is something we didn't mention in the two Vinny episodes of Lynchboro. I'm not saying that this is a symptom of how messed up Ken Wall was becoming, but... He's smoking like a chimney. Yes, in both I know. of those episodes, and it's like we didn't talk about it at the time, but it's like Vinny doesn't smoke. I know. And suddenly, <laughs> Vinny is smoking in every scene. Well, not every scene, but almost every. Like he's just constantly smoking, and I'm like, wow, he was really having a bad time. Yes, Ken Wall couldn't couldn't stop smoking even to be on set. Even to be on set, he refused yeah. to stop smoking. Like that's how so, that's how messed up he was at yeah. that. Yeah, and those were the days when that wasn't a big problem. It wasn't a big Still. problem, but normally you would just play a character who smokes. But now suddenly yeah. Vinny Terranova's a smoker? You know, in, yeah. you know, against everything we've seen about the character up until this point, suddenly yes. Vinny is just smoking cigars. Now we could take a we could take a hint from Vincenzo when he is under extreme set stress. stress. He actually does have a cigarette. He actually does have a cigarette. That's true. Never but smoked. that has never been part of Vinny's character. Vinny, never. Not in all of the things he has been involved in. Yeah. All of the people he has played, he has never so much as had a cigarette. Yeah. Never been a smoker. 
That's just not who he is. So barely drinks. We, we have to, he barely oh, yeah. drinks. He barely drinks. Yeah. yeah. It's the action he's here for. Yeah. No, and it's interesting because it just goes to show how bad a time Kenwall was having that what we have to assume are his real life personal vices were suddenly becoming part of the character in a way that is not at all accurate to the show up until that point. Yeah. So it's fascinating stuff. All right. So yeah. now let's wrap up with what did Lynchboro mean and what did Lynchboro teach us? Again, I, I mean, I know it's crazy to keep going back to this moment, but it's like, it really is true that like, this is all about money at the end of the day. It's all about money all the time. And whether that is, you know, uh, whether that is Sonny Steelgrave saying that the government doesn't want him to like, wants him to doesn't think he's paying his fair share of taxes or whether that's Mark like running a company town like it's the 1840s right whichever one you want to talk about it always comes back to money and the beauty of this arc is it shows a world where someone can stop prioritizing money yes yes he can actually stop and i guess that they would think that that was a high point at which to stop yeah. Because none of the other, with all of the other arcs, it takes extremity, yeah. death, jail to for get them these people to out. have to stop yeah. and get yeah. them out. Or or complete and total breakdown as with Nuquate. Yeah, that's right. So here, what you have is someone who can be, who, who, and you can see that, right? He did have the the biggest piece of um, information came from Rogo, who said, you're a man with a child's ego. Yeah. You could see that all along through the whole thing, that he behaves like a child, mm -hmm. as if there's no other reality. And basically, the little time he spent in his, in his college years, Anything he had learned about himself and anything he was all gone. Yeah, it all regressed. The minute he go back, he regressed and yeah. he was stuck and, in this role. And he became a child again. Mm -hmm. He is the child, the grown up child of his father and his grandfather. Yeah. And this is, and here we have an external force able to come in and literally change him almost it seems overnight but the seeds were there it's doing the good and i guess lacy has always been you know it, it's it's a very very strange unrealistic but the whole episode yeah like i think it's it's not that although for mark you believe it you believe oh, yeah. he can actually change because he's been living the world with this stupid movie, right? And he burns the movie. We didn't talk yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, he throws the VHS copy in the fire. Which, by the way, one the one not believable part about this is that he's just watching it on a regular VHS tape. Yeah. Rather than like no, no, one he, of those high-end half-inch machines that would like last forever. Because it's like, is he constantly getting new copies of this? Because the way yeah. he watches it, a VHS tape would wear out fast. 
Fast, fast, fast. As we know. (laughs) Oh, as we know, with our copies of Wise Guy. (laughs) And our copies of other things, right? You know, that if you watch things too often, they it just wears out. I mean, VHS tape will wear out. Mm -hmm. Um, and no, one assumes that he was watching it on on um eight eight millimeter or sixteen millimeter. Hell maybe he had a full print. You know, maybe he had a full print. Well, he could have. This is the nineties. Yeah. He absolutely well that it might it it yeah, who knows? It's believable that he could have found a print. Well, yeah, Castle died in 73. Yeah, so. but, but it's a movie that would have had hundreds of touring, well, not hundreds, but dozens of touring prints. So it's like yeah, there would have been prints true. out there for him to find. That's true. Yeah. So he could have even, I mean, that's what I assume. But the thing is, is that I think that that was just, um, it's, it's easier just to show. Oh, no, no, it's con- for convenience. It's for production convenience's sake that he's watching yeah. it on VHS. I think you're yeah. completely right about that. Realistically, there should have constantly been a projector like rattling away inside Goroslava with the movie constantly playing. Well, yeah, that would have been perfect. Then it would have taken a heart, uh, our our thing, ourself back also to um, the glorious Swanson, William Holden. Oh, exactly. Uh, Sunset Uh, Boulevard, Boulevard. right? Because imagine it had there been a screening room in Goroslava where 24 hours a day, Mr. Sardonicus is just playing on a loop. Yeah. I mean, because that is that is the sense you get because they say he's always watching this and it's always on. It's always on in the background when he's talking to everybody. Yep. And so, if you know, they had, so and I'm, I'm it, it's again, it might just be a production thing, but imagine all so. of those scenes. If like his house was set up with him constantly doing business inside this giant screening room where the movie's always going on in the background. Yeah, it might have been a set too far. Yeah, to I think build. You're, you're probably right. Yeah, because this is, um, yeah, and I can see, oh, just to say, I mean, I can also see that they would turn this huge mansion because he and Lacey don't need that kind of a place into some kind of a museum, oh, right? Oh, wouldn't surprise me at all, to the town. Because, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and you could start building up a tourist business around it. I mean, I could see all sorts of things happening. Oh, yeah, no, there's uh, there's a way that Lynchboro goes well for people like it is plausible that this could actually go well for people yeah you know and i'm just sort of i i sort of sit there right and i mean in one way it's it's absolutely crazy episode um not it's not weird in the sense that twin peaks was weird and got even weirder with the 20 years later um (laughs) And I still need another 10 episodes Yeah, with Kyle. I know. Um, anyway, um, and not going to happen just like Mind Hunter. Mind Hunter, anyway, yeah. Anyway, um, but, right, it is, it is, it is hard to place it. I enjoy it. It is so good from beginning to end in so many ways. In all the craziness of the show, right, you, you still, like, we ripped it apart in many yeah. ways. <laughs> There's so many problems with it. And I don't care. This is just, like, this unique. And they did build. They start with this horror story. Yep. Because that's what it is. Yep. This schlocky horror story. And they end up with 
the Christmas story. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> and Roger Lococo is the angel. Yep. <laughs> Roger Lococo is the angel coming to change his heart. Yes. <laughs> like, who could have imagined that Roger would end up serving that role? Even Roger you know, finds it weird that he's serving that role. Yeah. You now Roger has his wings. <laughs> yeah. And that's why he just mysteriously disappears at the end. Like, of it course. all logically fits together with the inspirations they're going by. <laughs> yeah. Roger becomes essentially an angel at the end of this thing. It just floats away. Yeah. Nobody sees him ever Nobody again. Him ever again. Oh. It's, oh well, my it's, God. it's magnificent in its own way because yeah. it is really willing to tell a different, like, it's both a different kind of story than we're used to on Wise Guy. And that's absolutely true. It's a different kind of story than we're used to seeing on Wise Guy. But it doesn't screw up the stuff that Wise Guy is about. It's still about no. the characters. It's still about digging into these people and digging into these themes in a really interesting way. Oh, I tell you, I can just hear the writer's room. I mean, I talked about this before. Yeah. And then I'm going, I'm going, but even more so, you know, at the end as we're wrapping up sort of this arc and really wrapping up the, the show, wise basically yeah. in some yeah. way. This is the last real arc. We get, mm -hmm. we, get and we get some... two episodes with Vinny after this, but I mean, yes, that's not and... an arc. <laughs> no, and it, it's fine. I'm not going to say that, but this. This is almost like, okay, we've given you all the horror of these worlds. We've made it look really, really kind of good sometimes. Yeah. You know, um, and Vinny has come out of this. Now we've got Vinny falling apart. But at mm -hmm. the same time, what we've got here is that, yes, the world can change. Yeah. It's not like a happy ending exactly to the entire three years of Wise Guy. No. But it almost is that where everything else has fallen apart in every other episode, yeah. other yeah. than John Henry, um, who kind of, but even then he shoots yeah. somebody to death. And kills Ricky. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, at the end, um, so that no matter what happens, but here you have somebody who can be and is redeemed. Yep. It is possible. Redemption is still possible in the world of Wise Guy. We will talk about whether Vinny learns that in the next, in the two, next episodes. two episodes. Yeah. But yeah, and I mean, and you're right. The the boldness, and I love that the boldness of telling a story of redemption. Like I, yeah. I've talked a lot about how all of this has always been about money and how money is used to control people. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's always been a sub theme. And then here in the final arc, they make it literally what the arc is about. Yeah. Like it is 100%. The arc is about how this one family has, you know, exerted control over 15,000 people. Right. Or 30,000. Or 30,000 people. 15, like this huge number of people. All by, like, they have no right to it. They have no entitlement to it. Like the idea that because they set up a mining camp 
150 years ago that some guy set up a mining camp 150 years ago that his son that his great great grandson gets to rule this place you know like a king there's no logic to that there's no right to that but that's all capitalism is that's at the yeah. core of all capitalism and this episode suggests that there is something fundamentally immoral about the whole system that they're all living in but the system can be redeemed exactly <laughs> well we hope but i mean you're right it's a very yeah, yeah, yeah. it is a kind it is in a in its own way the opposite of the ending of the white supremacy arc yeah because the the horrible message at the end of the white supremacy arc is you know con men like these con men will always have a sucker and these guys who exploit hatred and division whatever for money there's always going to be an out for them and room for them and yeah. this is in many ways the opposite message of that yeah that there is a possibility there is a However, way out of these this system is the problem there is a way out of these toxic systems is the end of this episode yeah and, and it's kind um, of beautiful yeah no i seriously i mean i, I it's nice right and maybe that's why I like this episode. You like this ep this yeah. arc so much. It has nothing to do with. I mean, we we've talked already about everything, but it has nothing to do with anything. But it actually does have a truly happy ending, of course, yeah. which yeah. gets shot up by the ending with Vinny yeah, running with Vinny away, murdering two dudes. guys. But you know, it is wise guy. It is wise guy. It's still a show about Vinny, even though he tried to make it not a show about Vinny for a week there. Yeah. But so yeah, it's yeah, and um, it's good. Yeah. No, it 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 is it is it, it is you. Um. First of all, it is a unique kind of still television making. Yeah. <clears throat> I can't fair. think of anything that is doing has things. the innovation that like the innovative thinking mm -hmm. the imaginative thinking to take these two disparate a william castle and a frank capra and writing them together I, I mean william castle the king of schlock yep <laughs> or william schloss <laughs> and then the uh and then the and then frank capra you know the most uh, well, again, Frank, uh, not Frank Capra. Oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, and then Frank Capra, who had been specifically referenced earlier in the thing, yeah. that beautiful. And this is, it's a... Uh, in the, the yeah, other arc. In the other Mr. arc. And now you've got, you know, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. <laughs> like, they're using these disparate influences in such a beautiful way. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. I mean, it really is a fantastic end to the arc. It's beautiful. And the arc itself... It's such a hopeful thing for the show to kind of go out on. You know? Like, it really is a hopeful thing for the show to 50% go out on. And, well, we'll talk about the other 50% next week. Yeah, okay. Just, just oh. can you wait just one moment? I can wait a second. What do you want to check? Uh, um, it's a Wonderful Life. Yes, It's a Wonderful Life is the title you were looking for. Yes, it's not, it's not a Christmas Carol because... It's both. Because... Though. Well, I don't know because no, no, know, the, the Mark fact that has he... never been Mark yeah. has never been greedy with his money. Mark has never been nasty. 
Mark has never no, he's been not a Scrooge. He's not a bad no. guy, but at the same time, the having a like it is both it's a wonderful life and a Christmas carol because in in a sense, both of those stories are about a supernatural entity coming and showing people yes. how their okay. lives could have been di- like how their life was and how they've affected people. Like they're both stories about how they lived and how they affected people. And in one of them, it's a guy thinking his life is awful and he finds out that he was actually important. And the other one, it's a man realizing he has been awful. Yeah. Whereas, and this is, it is really a compilation of those two. You can say it leans one. I mean, uh, I think it, I think you could say it leans more towards it's a wonderful life because of how explicitly Roger is the angel in this story. And because they already referred to Mr. Smith goes to Washington oh, absolutely. So in the Washington segment. No, yeah. So they are clearly thinking about Capra. I don't disagree with you at all. I'm just okay. saying there's also some, uh, and I don't think it's arguable, that there is also a non-insignificant amount of a Christmas carol in there, especially the moment where he wakes up and, you know, decides I'm going to make everything right. Yes. Okay. Yes. That moment would uh it's because very, that moment is it's not, very crisp that moment is not in it's just not in it's a wonderful it's life. a wonderful life there's no like he he runs through the town talking about how much he loves the town but that's not the same as there's still time to make things right and that's yes. the and that is the pivotal moment for mark the yeah. you're you're right that roger and all of that is very much um it's a wonderful life but the climax Right, the big. There's still time to make things right. That's yes. all straight. That is all. Yeah, that's straight from the Christmas, Christmas Carol. Carol. Okay. Yeah, I give you that. But it is both. I agree that it's both. I agree with you. You agree with me that it's both, and I'll agree with you that it is eighty percent. It's a Wonderful Life, and only sixty percent <laughs> a Christmas Carol. Yeah, because it is just that end scene, and it's true. Yes, I can make it right. I can make it right. There's still time. You know? There's still time. He even, he even says, like, what, you know, like, what time is it? I'm not too late. I can, you know, yeah. I can make this right. It yeah. is explicitly yes. calling that out. Yeah, and I mean, it is It is fascinating how they go back to all of these things and oh, inter- yeah. what, interweave them together to come up with this epi- this arc. Yeah. It, it is truly a... Um, it's, it's uh, yeah. kind of unique. You just don't see anything else like this out there. No. You just don't. Nope. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's so beautiful. I know it is. Like, it really is. All right. So, uh, that was the Lynchboro arc. It's magnificent. It really is a high point of the series. But it almost feels weird. It's, but the problem is, because it's not about Vinny... And because it is so fundamentally different in how it's structured and what it wants to achieve than the rest of the, than the whole rest of the series, really, it's yeah. almost unfair to like rank it against the other episodes. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it is a climax of the, you know, questioning capitalism that has underscored a surprisingly large amount of the show. If you go back and look at it. It yeah. is the climax of that theme for the show, but at the same time, it's just a really great standalone thing to the yeah. point where you can almost watch this arc without watching the show Wise Guy. Yeah, I would. Uh, no, that's what I was going to say. You could actually take this and say, okay, it's Christmas time. 
if you want to feel good, watch this. Yeah, watch this story <laughs> arc of Wise Guy. And honestly, like, that's all you need. Because it is a self-contained story. Because it's Roger and not Vinny, it manages to be a self-contained story yeah. in a way that no other arc is. Yeah, and so that, and and that's the funny thing is, is that in this story arc, so they must have, I don't know, Vinny could not have, I, I just don't see Vinny being the same. I know. That was, I, what is that arc look, you kind of want to see if there are outlines or even scripts. It's like, how different was this arc when Vinny was the star of it? Yeah. How was it supposed to be different? Yeah. Because he would have been, out? because I can't imagine they did an entire arc where Vinny is just an appendage. No. Because Roger Lococo, as I said, is the facilitator. Yeah. Is the angel. Yeah. This is who a comes whole, up with. Yeah. And it's like, there's no role for Roger to play other than to facilitate Mark's journey of self-discovery. Yeah. And making sure that Frank doesn't do the bad things. Yeah. I mean, there's even the money stuff and everything else, right? Yep. It keeps everybody in line. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole thing. make sure whole everybody thing. plays their part. And I'm not sure that... Vinny would comfortably Vinny slot that? into... I don't know that there's a way to comfortably slot Vinny into that role. Yeah. So Because that's I don't not know. who Vinny is and that's not how he had been on the show ever. No. Yeah, and again, like we can't even say what Vinny's soul, uh, role in the town and the relationship was supposed to be because the scene that was supposed to tell us how Vinny's going to relate to this town, the scene where he finds out where whatever conversation he has with Lacey that convinces him Mark is the killer, right? That never got shot. Well, and let me tell you, I mean, I and I cannot see Vinny being as comfortable with Lacey as Roger is. No, there's no way. There's absolutely no way he's got this thing. Roger, I mean, for heaven's sakes, he takes care of of, of his, I guess, what what do you want to call it? The, the, the prostitute that yeah, he like, kept seeing that he when kept he seeing. was in Vietnam. He, he was and, Vietnam when and, was, he's, and he had to cut out her tongue for Herb and he has looked after her for the rest of his life. Yeah. And I she mean, has looked after him like... He's fine with there being a whorehouse in town. Yeah, it's not a big problem for him. He doesn't have all of Vinny's moral high ground. moral, you know, hang-ups about all this stuff. Yeah, and he that's just, the he problem, doesn't. right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it would have played out very differently with Vinny. I, I mean, I can't say yeah. it would have been worse, but I can't say I can immediately predict what that arc would have looked like had Vinny stuck around. Yeah, well, all I know is that this arc... I mean, it were it works on its own with all of the the things that we talked about and yeah. everything else. It is just a self standing, and as I said, it is this sort of culmination of wise guy in the three years that there is redemption. This is Stephen Cannell's message and Frank Lupo's message. Yeah, there is a possibility for redemption, but this is what it's going to take. Yeah, and yeah. this is not easy. No, and that's what it comes down to. None of this is easy. It is going to be, it is going to take a massive shock to the system. Now, whether um, January 6th, 2021 is going to be that shock to the system, I don't know. It doesn't seem to. So 
Yeah, well, America, that's what they it's interesting because right now, I mean, we're not going to get too much into this. Don't worry, folks. This isn't one of our politics broadcasts. But then again, everything is political. So I guess it is. Uh, uh, but it's it's worth mentioning that it's like right now, America is having to choose between the lie of, you know, uh, what do you call it? Inflation is going to destroy America versus the truth of allowing fascists to destroy democracy is going to destroy America. And those are the two sides. You've got all of these Republicans lying that they care about inflation in order to get fascism to come to America. And you've got the Democrats uh, kind of sitting on their asses and not doing anything about it. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't even want to talk politics right now. And we're not I just want to talk, you know, I mean, because the solution is so far away. And I mean, in some ways, it, it's really weird when you think about how this show did in the third season, two Frank Capras took on two Frank Capra movies. Yeah. And Absolutely. basically the first one rips the 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 facade of political mythology yeah. in a part. Yep. Not totally, because you still have your, you know, your 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 good senator. There's still this kind well, there's of there's a good senator and there's a good attorney general. Yeah. But and what the show is unwilling and as you say, the, the complaint about that last episode of the Washington DC arc is that Frank says that it's like the system worked. Yeah. Because there were these good people looking out for you. And what you know the fact is, any system that requires independent actors to self-sacrificingly, like, go out of their way to do the right thing isn't yeah. a good system. No. And I think that that's, that's there, right? Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter. And well, the thing is, in a way, you can say that this arc is apologizing for that arc because it doesn't matter that Mark is a good guy. No. The system that his family set up is the problem. And who yeah. who the hell knows what Mark's son is going to be like? Yeah. You know? Well, he's not going to have lots and lots of... He's not going to grow up like uh, Mark did because there's not going to be that much money. No, no, no. My point is, my point is that yeah. had Mark not turned around... Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter that Mark is a good guy and that his version of Lynchboro is a nice place to live... What happens when Mark's, if he hadn't turned into a better person, what happens when Mark's son takes over? And like, what if Mark's son decides, decides that he's going to be just like his grandfather? Yeah, exactly. That's my point, right? Yep. And that's, that's, that is what the Washington DC arc missed that yeah. this doesn't miss. It doesn't matter if there are good people running a corrupt system. The problem is that the system is corrupt. And, yeah, there's, and, and no one should have that much power over other people. Yeah. It doesn't matter how nice they are. As I said last week, Magneto's a great guy. I wouldn't put Quicksilver in charge of the world. Yeah. And that's, that's the, the, the that's problem. The I mean, as messy as, and it's the old story, as messy as democracy is. And, and as corrupt as it can get. Yep. Um, you know, it's better. It's better yeah. than the other the other option. The other, uh, the all the alternatives where you can't do mm -hmm. 
what you like I it it is it is so weird. I mean, it's like my position on censorship. I yeah. have to hold it. I I because things that if you don't if you censor things, I mean, they have censored in they have censored mouse somewhere yeah in, that's pretty terrifying like Tennessee in mississippi, or mississippi, or mississippi or whatever yeah that's, yeah that's one of those places right well yeah but all of a sudden the sales of mouse have shot through the roof which is good i mean it's good which, that more okay. people are finding out about mouse yeah. but at the same time I mean, yeesh, knowing no, that they, there but, are um yeah knowing there have that there always are these been people there have there. always been people who want to and as I say, when I talk about Maria Goretti, for God's sake, they blamed uh, the red and the black. Yeah. Uh, this movie, this book, right? Yep. For for this guy, because he learned to read and he read Stendhal's Red and the Black. And that's why he committed this horrible, act. horrible, horrible murder on this 12 year old girl. Yeah. Because she wouldn't have sex with him. Yep. Right. You know? It, it, you know, but it's a book, so we got to ban the book. Well, no, it yeah. wasn't the book. Well, that's the thing. I'm generally uh, not for burning any book other than the Turner Diaries. <laughs> you got to well, draw the line be, somewhere, and it's the well, Turner Diaries. It's got to be archived. Yeah. It just has no, to no, be I'm archived. Not saying it's, I'm not saying we're going to burn all copies of it. I'm just saying yeah. you probably shouldn't sell the Turner Diaries to anyone. And anyone who tries to buy a copy of the Turner Diaries needs to get on a couple of lists. Yes, and as I said, I have I have bought books just to take them out of circulation. <laughs> An uncommon motive, but a noble one. <laughs> you know, I just it was a children's book, and I said this cannot be allowed to get into the hands of anyone. Yeah, we we all know what you're talking about there. Yeah, so, yeah well, um, you do anyway. Oh, I do. I do. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm I'm not generally for censorship either. I mean, I'm more comfortable with it than you are, obviously. Uh, but you're absolutely right that fundamentally we have to be able to have these discussions. That said, you know, uh, if there's no, uh, you can, you know, various, I'm not going to say I'm the, the one responsible for this, but there's a bunch of sociologists out there who will tell you that, you know, there is a creepy, there is a basically you know, massive influence in the TV show South Park and the resurgence of anti-Semitism. So, you know, well, there are always downsides to this stuff. Yeah, well, they were, I mean, there are problems with, there's problems with just, there is nothing that isn't without problems. For God's sake, Whoopi Goldberg got suspended from The View for two weeks. I know, wow. Oh, come on. And all I could say when I when I read that this morning, I'm going, well, now you know how um, Sam feels. Sam? You know, what's his face who played Sam on Cheers? Oh, yes. Yeah, so he got stuck. Uh, after the, yes. After the comedy routine they did together. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And he was in blackface and the horror of that. And it broke up their relationship. I'm going. And of course he's going, but I didn't know. Yeah. And I'm going, okay, Whoopi, now you know how he feels. Ted Danson, right? Ted Danson is who we were talking about. And you we're know, talking about I, a a very weird thing that happened. Ted Danson and Whoopi Goldberg were a couple for a while. Yeah. And they did a, a Friars Club roast thing that involved him putting on blackface and doing 
incredibly racist jokes and with you know whoopi, for her I, and whoopi enjoying it and you're like ooh, this is not a good look for anybody well yes way, but yeah if that, but it's, the, it's impressive how that's disappeared from the public mindset by the way well yeah but you know i mean the the thing is the the the, the thing of that was okay again you see whoopi didn't have a I mean, he, she had to know what he was going to do. Oh, she prepared it with him. Yes. So mm-hmm. consequently, she thought it was funny. Yep. Now, some of her brothers and sisters did not, did not. find it funny at all. Right? And that was the problem. Yep. And then Whoopi saying it's a crime against humanity. Okay, you're right. Yeah. It is. But that doesn't make it not racism. And she, her, she takes, she has taken to heart this idea that somehow or another, if you're white or white adjacent, mm-hmm. you you are, you can't be a subject of racism. And that's not true. Yeah. It's just that the colonial powers that are responsible for the racism today. Yep. Or white. That doesn't mean there aren't other colonial powers. Oh yeah. That aren't racist and we have spent some time over the last little while because i'm learning korean but talking about sort of racism of japan yeah i just love it it's like oh you think only white people create racism i'd like to introduce you to a country called japan yeah just just to end this off just explain the three fonts okay so um (laughs) We're going to go now. We have gotten very far afield, so I'll wrap it up after this. Uh, but I think it happened organically. Anyway, so um, here's, here's a fun fact about the Japanese language. And you want to know how, like, fundamentally xenophobic the Japanese language is down to its core. There are three alphabets in the Japanese language. One of them are kanji, which are the pictograms that you will recognize as being the Chinese language. They use the same pictograms. They generally mean the same thing, but they're all said completely differently. So Japanese people can't speak Chinese, Uh, right? So that's kanji. Then there's hiragana, which is their phonetic alphabet, which is always a letter and a vowel, right? It's always a letter and a vowel. So ha, hi, hu, hey, ho, kaki. All right. And so that's how you write out words uh, that either don't have kanji to go with them or the parts of a sentence, you know, your adjectives, your verbs, your things like that, that you don't necessarily have to use a kanji for. That's what you use that. And then they have a third, they have a third alphabet. And that third alphabet is called katakana. And it is the exact same alphabet as hiragana. It's the same alphabet, but instead of having nice, beautiful, rounded lines, all of the lines, it's the exact same symbols drawn the exact same way, but instead of being swooping, curving motions, they are hard, angular motions. And this third language is for writing out phonetically any word that comes from a language that isn't Japanese. So any word that has a cultural origin that doesn't come from Japan, you have to write with a different alphabet than the words that are Japanese in origin. Because at its core, even Japanese's lang even Japan's language wants to suggest a superiority of Japanese culture and wants you to never forget the things that are Japanese and the things that are aren't as if they're in competition with each other. 
And I tell you, and that overrides yep. sort of Fran- French. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you think France is bad? You think French is bad with their refusal to like uh, add in any word that violates one of their linguistic rules? No, Japan's the real language. <laughs> you know, and it just is. And as I said, you just ask the Chinese about Japan. Oh, ask God. the Koreans about Japan. Japan. Korea just hates Japan still. Yep. So many Koreans. It is. It is a standing. That is one of those things that pops up in anything that is vaguely political. There's always this problem with Japan. Oh, yeah. You know? um, Hell, I I mean, there's there's this wonderful horror movie called The Wailing, where, uh, you know, like, there's this town that's been cursed. And this small town cop in Korea is trying to figure out what's going on. And everyone's like, this Japanese guy came in from out of town. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what's responsible. And he, like, he can't believe it. He can't believe it. He can't believe it. Spoiler alert. The v- Japanese guy's a vampire and he is responsible for everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, these metaphors abound in, oh, in the yeah. stuff that I've watched. Absolutely. There's lots more stuff, I'm sure. I mean, we're doing Vincenzo, which is just a joy. Yeah. Um, but I have watched some other things and you should see. Oh, anyway. So, that is that, where let's we're going to wrap this up. Thank you so much for listening both to the closure of one of our favorite episodes of ARCs and a lot of political rambling that we hadn't planned on doing. Uh, We hope you enjoyed all of it. We're going to be back here next week for the grand finale of season three as we talk about two very plot-intensive and not all that character-intensive episodes. And then we are going to talk about, you know, the the season in review, which is not going to take all that long for, you know the reasons that have been clear if you've been watching us talk about the season so far. Yeah. All right. So uh, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if there's any profiling related fiction you'd like us to check out, please drop us a line at profilingcriminalminds at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, If you're listening to this on some sort of an app or podcatcher, Uh, please rate and review it because that is how new people find the show we're going to be back here on Tuesday for more of our beloved Vincenzo and then of course we're going to be back uh, next Wednesday for the grand finale of season 3 see you here for all of that but until then au revoir and have a good week Profiling Criminal Minds is a member of the Kinks Podcasting Network